You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Hey everyone, my name is Toby and I'm the founder and president of an organization called Gobi International Ministries. We're committed to helping change the conversation around mental wellness in our country and around the world. You know, it's been interesting over the last year or so as I've sat, especially with kids, and we've talked about this one question. I ask them this, what scares you? You know, kids aren't like adults. They don't have to think about it. They instantly start yelling monsters. You know, uh, the dark. If it's a little girl, she'll say, boys, <laughs> what scares you? And I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but I would wonder if I ask you, if we were sitting across the table, you're gonna get a cup of coffee, and I said, hey, what scares you? What keeps you up at night? What your answer would be? Mine, it's pretty easy. It would be a fear of drowning. A fear of drowning. It's incredibly irrational, but it's very real to me. Now, not in a swimming pool, but mostly in the ocean. I grew up about 15 minutes from the Texas Gulf Coast, and uh, we went to the beach like many of you went to the park. And I distinctly remember being, I think, around seven or eight years old when my parents were talking about a family friend who drowned surf fishing at the very beach that we go to all the time. And I remember asking dad, how in the world does someone drown in water up to their waist? And he said, well, the ocean floor is uneven and there's a thing called an undertow. And so if you're not paying attention, you step in a hole, you have on uh, waders, it's, it's possible for you to get uh, swept away by the undertow and them not to be able to find your body. He looked at me and he said, now, Toby, you make sure you're careful every time we go to the beach. Now, how many of you know that when you lay in bed at night and think about something over and over and over again, it can move from a possibility to a reality. It's why the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And this little boy, I was lying in bed that night asking myself this question, what if I drowned at the beach? I wonder who would come to my funeral and I laid there long enough, thinking about it long enough, that I truly began to believe that I was going to drown. And I distinctly remember falling asleep that night, little tears coming down my eyes, and me praying this prayer, please God, don't let me drown. Please God, don't let me drown. I had no idea that for the next 50 plus years of my life, that would be my prayer not about drowning in water, but about drowning uh, in my battle for my mental health. Uh, I was diagnosed 27 years ago with an anxiety and a panic disorder. And for any of you who've struggled with anxiety or depression or these general feelings of being overwhelmed by life, you know what I mean when I say, when that wave of anxiety comes, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm out of control. And it's interesting uh, because over the past 27 years, I have learned so much about what it means to be truly free in Jesus. And what does it mean uh, to not simply survive, but to thrive 
in the midst of these mental health battles. You know, this is the cry of our world. You know this, right? That this cry of, please God, don't let me drown as it relates to mental health is happening all over the world. The numbers are staggering and the group that seems to be affected the most are our kids. Uh, there have been so many research studies that tell us kids between the, the ages of six and 12 have moved from 33% pre-pandemic battling anxiety, depression, or what I call feeling overwhelmed by life. The numbers now are in the high 60%. They are estimating that among adolescents today, 5,000 are being uh, admitted to hospitals because of mental health issues. Dear God, please don't let me drown. The sad part is not simply that we feel like we're drowning. Look at me, everybody. The sad part is many of us think that drowning is our destiny, that the abundant life that Jesus promised is not possible for us because of these challenges. And over the past 27 years, there are some truths that I have learned that I'd share with you over the next few moments today. You know, if you've gone to church very long, you know that Jesus said, if you'll know the truth, the truth will what? Yes, you are saying it with me, aren't you? The truth will set you free. That if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But what many of us don't truly comprehend is that a lie believed has the same inherent power to entrap us that the truth has to set us free. And so I believe that at its core, our battle for real freedom in the midst of life struggles is battling to believe the truth of who God says that we are and how God actually works in our lives. So let me give you a couple of these truths that I have discovered to be true. Uh, the first lie that I have to fight and move to truth in is this, that somehow problems signal the absence of God in my life. That when I'm fighting for my mental health, when I'm going through some life struggle, that I truly begin to believe that God is somewhere a long way away, that somehow God has left me. Uh, have you ever felt that way? The problem with that line of thinking is it doesn't line up with the Bible. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if struggles in life, challenges signal the absence of God, and they will tell you that, that God saved them and Jesus met them in the fire, not taking them around the fire. Sit down with Daniel, and you'll see in the life of Daniel that Daniel would say, you know what, God did his greatest work in the lion's den, not keeping me out of the lion's den. And I know for some of you who go to church, this will sound a bit controversial, but I want you to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane needing his friends, saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Come and sit with me, which I think is interesting because mental health battles for most of us make us tend to isolate, but Jesus did the very opposite. He wanted his friends with him, but picture him face first in the dirt. Don't jump to not my will, but your will be done. Sit in that moment, face first in the dirt, tears streaming down his face, saying, G saying, God, please take this from me. Please don't make me do this. I found myself there over and over and over again. God, please take this anxiety off of me. Take this, these, these seasons of panic attacks away from me. 
Uh, and God's answer for me has been no. Do you have a life verse? How many of you have a life verse? Raise your hand, even in your living room, raise your hand, look at your mate or your significant other and say, yeah, I have a life verse. I've heard, I've asked this question in small groups and people always give me, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a great life verse. Uh, that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. That's a great life verse. Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, the words of Jesus. That's a great life verse. I would just submit to you, you don't get to pick your life first. Your life first picks you. Mine is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is talking about his life and he says, because of the surpassingly great revelation that was given to me, I don't have time to go in detail into what Paul is saying, but Paul is saying, God gave me this gift and to make sure that I stayed humble, he said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. There's many of opinions out there. I think Paul intentionally didn't tell us what it was so that we could see ourselves in that situation. And then he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And he said, no. How many of you want to get that on a coffee mug or a poster on your wall? That three times you asked God to lift something off of you and he said, no. But he said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect, not in your highlights, but in your lowlights, Paul. And so Paul said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life not simply uh, being open to talking about, but boasting in my weaknesses. Why? Because in your weaknesses, it's where God's strength most faithfully shows up. When you give off the aura of being strong, then people think about how strong you are. When you're honest about being weak, then people see how strong God is in you. And so I want to say that if you're battling today for your mental wellness, I want to just encourage you and let you know, based upon the truth of Scripture, that if you haven't heard God say yes, if your experience has not been a lifting off of your life, it doesn't mean God is a long way away. You know, lots of times I think that we equate especially emotional health struggles with a lack of faith. Yet the Bible never even hints that it is faith that keeps these struggles from happening. It is faith that gets us through the struggles. You know, I remember telling Micah so many years ago, this is my wife, Micah, when I was first battling with, uh, anxiety and panic disorder. And we'll talk in a moment about how I got to this place. But I remember telling her, hey, you know what? One of these days, God is going to heal me. God's going to take it completely away and I'm going to write a book. And yet my life has been the verse that says, God said, no, my grace is going to be sufficient. I've seen in other countries, God has allowed me to talk about these issues. And I've asked people to stand and I've prayed for them and unsolicited, I've got emails from people about this feeling of this burden being lifted from them. And yet the one who is doing the talking and the praying, I still battle. But I want you to understand that my faith is in God's goodness and God's ability to do what he wants to do in my life in spite of a battle with anxiety and panic. I don't, I, I mean, I don't need you to fix me. I don't want to offend you, but I don't need you to fix me. Uh, there's not a day goes by that I don't ask God to lift this off of me, but my freedom has come when I have 
finally begin to recognize that freedom is not the absence of something, it is the presence of someone in the middle of the struggle. That my faith is in the goodness and the nearness of God to be with me and to strengthen me so that I might be everything that he's created me to be. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think that God, uh, he makes it very clear that he wants to use us. I, I, I just believe that if you're breathing and you love Jesus, then, then uh, God has a purpose for your life. You have, I hate this word because it gives off such a church connotation, but you have a calling. When I talk about calling, I don't talk about working at a church. Uh, in fact, most of you, we need people who are full of God out in the marketplace, not hold up in a church. Thank God for those who are called to ministry in a church, but thank God for thousands of you called to ministry in whatever uh, vocation God is giving you. And I think when many times when you get, when God calls you, uh, when you begin to discover your purpose in life, what we end up doing is we do, we begin to make a plan, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have a plan. Jesus talked about which of you, if you're going to build a tower, wouldn't start with the plan. The plan isn't the problem, but the plan is when I start believing this big lie that, that God's calling uh, and my plan are on equal footing. In other words, the calling never changes, but sometimes I have to remember it wasn't God's plan. It was my plan, the very best way I could think it up. I told you, I believe that God was going to completely take this away from my life. Uh, and then I would write books and I would go around the world talking about it. And, you know, in late uh, 1998, my, my team had been talking to me about writing a book about my life journey. And quite honestly, I didn't want to do it. Who wants to write a book and tell stories about uh, times that you've been so hopeless and helpless that you've seriously considered taking your life. That was me over 27 years ago. I had battled anxiety. There was no context for it. You understand there was no, uh, nobody was seeing counselors. I'd never heard the word depression or anxiety 27 years ago. I just was waking up in the middle of the night and I was pacing my house, uh, trying to kind of walk it off, not wanting to tell my wife or my two young kids about it. Sure. Not telling our church leaders about it. I thought she'd leave me. I thought the church would fire me. I did that for 17 days until I came to the place where I truly believe the world would be better off without me. And as I'm driving down an interstate going 75 miles an hour, I'm, I just swore at the last moment not to run into a bridge above me. And I know what it's like to be helpless and hopeless. And as I began to see a counselor and we uh, uh, began to work through some of the challenges that I faced, uh, that's when I told Mike I thought the day was coming when I would write a book. And now fast forward to, to uh, 2018. 2018, uh, the team finally talked me into writing a book. And in January of 2020, we released a book called Not Yet. And it's just just my story. It's, it was just my story of the truths that I had learned. Uh, some of the things that I've experienced over the past 27 plus years. Uh, we released it in our church. Uh, before we released it, before when I got to the final manuscript, uh, one of the things that the editor that was helping me encouraged me, and he said, hey, the last chapter, she said, has to really be good. And so I was 
feeling pressure that what's the last word I'm gonna leave and I I kept thinking about a salmon fish you know just Pacific Northwest and everybody knows the story it sounded kind of cliche so I googled one day what's another fish like a salmon and I I read about a goby fish found in Hawaii this one species of a goby g-o-b-y found in Hawaii that lives half of its life in the salt water and then swims up to the top of these mountains and spends the second half in these mountain pools and as they climb these waterfalls in these rivers their bottom jaw begins to grow when i read that literally the hair on my arms because i don't have any on my head it began to raise up because i knew that when the bible says that the heavens declared the glory of god it was more than just when you see a beautiful sky you Think about God showing off. It's that if you want to know how the kingdom works, uh, that you cannot see, look at the kingdom, the physical kingdom that you can see that he created. And I knew that was my story, that it was in the struggle that God transformed me. And the very thing that I had been running from was the very thing God wanted to use uh, to create the very best version of me and to help me step into my destiny. So I told the story at the end of the book. We released it in January of 2020. The last week of January that year, I was struggling with how to finish the series, the opening series as we were introducing the book. And so I went back to Google and the short version is I Googled, how do you draw a fish? And I spent six hours drawing this little cartoon fish. And I told the story of a, this goby fish because my name is Toby and the fish is called the goby, I thought, you know, hey, that's Jesus, man. Let's call it Toby the goby. I told the story. The church went crazy. They were like, we've got to have this book for our kids. And I thought, no, I just finished this adult book. I have no interest in being a children's author. And you know what happened less than a month later. The pandemic hit. Everything shut down. And uh, my daughter-in-law, who is an accomplished graphic artist, who had had a dream of illustrating a children's book, had some time. I had some time, and so... We wrote Toby the Gobi that tells three truths to kids. You can do hard things because God is with you. Uh, but you got to keep your eyes on the sun. Keep your eyes up. And number three, and I think most importantly, you help others along the way. And so we printed the book and we released it and it exploded. I had no idea that this pandemic was coming, that it was going to last, that this was going to become such a big issue for kids. And we started developing tools, some of the very tools I've used like the 40 I am's gratitude journals. We've coloring sheets, uh, all kinds of tools to put in the hands of parents to help kids connect God's power to the very real struggles they're facing. We built tools for adults. And now I'm giving my days to, in, in Gobi Ministries to helping you find tools that will connect you to God's power in the middle of your struggles. I'm not promising your struggles will go away, but I am promising you can find freedom because freedom is not the absence of struggles. Freedom is connecting to the power and the presence of God in the middle of your struggles. That was God's plan, not mine. I knew it was his calling. I was frustrated uh, about the plan until I finally discovered that God's calling is not the same as my plan. And uh, if you were to ask me, would you have any other verses that mean something significant to you as much as Paul's words about a thorn in the flesh, I would say, yeah, it's in Romans chapter 8, where it says, I'm going to use all things for good for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. And I'm grateful that that little 
eight-year-old boy who laid there asking God to please not let him drown, uh, that I get to be a very small part of helping other little boys and girls who feel like they're drowning, not feel like they're alone. So let me pray for us today uh, as we fight this good fight, as we help others along the way to remember that uh, with God, all things are possible. And it's okay to pray and believe daily like I do for God to lift something off of us, but to remember that an putting conditions on a relationship with a God who loves you unconditionally is dysfunctional. And to realize that you can desire God to do that, but you don't need him to do it for you to be free. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I'm just so grateful that uh, I get to be with these folks today, and I'm grateful, Father, that you have taught me the difference between my plan and your calling. And I would pray for those who feel alone today, and I would claim the promise that you draw near to those who are brokenhearted, those who are desperate for a power beyond themselves, that you are ready, willing, and available to move in. And so, Father, I speak against all the shame that comes in the middle of these battles, and I thank you for freedom. The freedom is offered, that is offered through the person of Jesus. It's in his name and by his power we pray. Amen.